of our salvation and your grace. And Lord, we just uh, thank you for bringing the New Age singers here with us and just um, <laughs> worship you with um, alongside of us, Lord. Father, we lift up Angela right now in just the ministry um, we, with the middle schoolers. Lord, we just pray that as she's just moving forward with this, that she is just anointed, that she is just blessed, and that you, she just follows your spirit with where you're leading her with this. Father, we also pray for Bob as he's transitioning out. He's just been such, um, such a blessing to this community for so many, so many years, Father. And, but we're, just, we're not really saying goodbye. We're just looking to the next chapter of where you're leading things, and we're just excited that Angela's a part of that and that um, we get, to wa- we get to watch what, what she does and what you do through her, Father. Lord, we just lift up Pastor Steve today as he just goes into your word and preaches, and we just pray that you can open up our hearts. Just uh, let your spirit just speak to us this morning and just convict us with your truth. And Father, may we just um, be led to worship you more this morning. And we pray these things in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. Morning. Yeah, see, Angela kind of wanted to wait and get introduced when the, you guys were all here because she knew she'd have like a built-in cheering section. So uh, thank you. It was good for her. And uh, we're blessed to have her here. It's exciting to see. She's already kind of jumped into a few staff meetings, and, and uh, it's, uh, it's fun. And I asked her if we could just call her Bob, but <laughs> nah, <laughs> not quite. So uh, we're, we're blessed to have her. Um, you know, today we're looking at the book of Esther, so I, I think we'll uh, enjoy, hopefully, the study together as we look at the book of Esther over the summer. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Esther, of course, is right kind of before Psalm, Job, Esther. And so you can flip there, and, um, or iPads, just, I would recommend just click on Esther. That would be easiest way to get there, okay? And, and really today, though, as we, as we think about this book, and we're going to kind of look at the history of Esther, but we're also looking at really this whole picture of symbolism that Esther represents to us. And I just really desire, and um, I've just been praying for each of you to really make this personal for your lives. And, and so really the question I want you to just ask yourself is, what is it your soul craves? What is it your soul craves? What do you think about? What do you feel kind of deeply about? What What causes you to make choices one way or another? What is it your soul craves? What is it that will make you who you want to be? I think we we have these things we crave, and often we don't stop and think about them. And so today I just want to really challenge us to think about what we crave and, you know, I see people crave all kinds of things. I, one of the big things, of course, in our society is people crave money. They think somehow they can get security from their assets. And, and of course, we live in this world with the greatest percentage of wealth and also the greatest percentage of people taking antidepressants. And, uh, and so the two somehow go together. Um, but I see people crave power, um, trying to just get ahead, get a little more control, uh, trying to, to have power either over other people or just power over uh, a skill. Uh, people just, they crave prestige. They crave really other people liking them. You know, somebody likes me, that's yeah, awesome. Um, it reminds me as we were raising our girls in high school, they always, I, I, we had called it FMS disease. They were, there was this fear of missing something. 
And, uh, and you know, it's always like, oh man, I gotta go to this, I gotta go to this, I gotta go to this. And, and uh, it just is constant. It kind of reminds me, oh, this is off the subject a little bit. But uh, it reminds me of soccer. And like we had four soccer teams for the longest time, a couple f- club teams. And, and soccer, you know, I'm a sports junkie, I love sports, but soccer won't pick a season. <laughs> for those of you who are involved in soccer, you know what I mean? They won't pick a season. And so we used to have like uh, November, they would say, would be off, you know. And so we would get to November and then you'd get a note that says, well, we're having one tournament, uh, and you don't have to go. But, you know, your kids might get behind if, if you miss it. But it's one tournament's all. And, and it's like, then, of course, our kids are afraid of missing something. And uh, because we, we really want to belong. We want to be part of something. And we all belong to some groups. We all think somehow we can, we can uh, get significance out of these groups. And, and we want to fit somewhere. And whether it's a, a Bible study or a book club or whether it's motorcycles or hiking or mountain biking or hunting or fishing or or knitting, or singing groups. We all want to be in, involved in something. And we want to dress that way, and we want to act that way, and we want to know that we're part of it. And it's just, it's just who we are. And, and, and so I'm not saying that these things are bad, okay? It's just kind of the way it works. But what I really want to challenge you today to think about is to examine your soul to see what your soul really craves. And then kind of see if maybe you have some misplaced priorities as we look at this. Maybe some disordered loves, if you will. Things that you love that maybe have too great of a power over you, too great of an impact. Because every soul, every one of us craves security. And we crave significance. We all want to be about something. And we crave being accepted and belonging. We want to be loved. And we even have a desire that we can hope for something. We, 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 we desire peace, okay? And our bodies, they're, they're created for this earth. These are our earth suits, okay? And, and so often they dictate what, we, what, our, what our souls crave, but our souls are created for heaven. They're created for something way greater than this earth. They're created for us to be able to, to think about God and to have a relationship with God and to interact with this God, this incredible God of the universe. And, and we're kind of torn between the two. And we're in these bodies, we see everything physically, and so often our, our, our souls then um, are really trying to, uh, to uh, follow along what the body desires. And, and God created you with these needs, okay? But they're needs that only ultimately he can meet. And so to me, life is kind of this process where we're always just kind of reordering what we really love. And, and, and we come into this thing called life. We're here and we're, we have a soul. That's who our, we truly are. We think, you know, we, we think deeply about things. We feel certain things. We choose certain things. We have, of course, this body that we live in, but we're incomplete without the Spirit of God, and we're dead spiritually, as Scripture would say. And so we know we have these needs. We know we have these cravings, and we just keep trying to fill them ourselves with the things of this world. And so we have to learn that they cannot be filled apart from God. And if you thought about what your soul craves... The very first thing that came to your mind, the very next thing usually is not, well, that's going to be filled by God. Usually we start thinking about how we can fill it up ourselves, what we need to do to be okay to get that filled. And so life is just kind of this process of learning that all these things that we crave, that we, that we really desire, even behind the scene, they can only be met by God. David said, my soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And so today we're going to con- really look at the conversion of a soul 
And uh, the title is God's Provision for Your Soul Cravings. And we're going to look at this conversion of a soul. And it's not just this one time, say a prayer, accept Christ as your Savior. That's obviously the start of it. Because before we trust Christ as our Savior, we do not have the Holy Spirit within us. And so obviously we're just going to make decisions apart from God. But as Christians, we still have this process that God continues to work in our lives, which I believe is a lifetime process where God continues to reorder the loves of our lives. And we learn to place him first and everything else second. And until we do that, we never get to experience the ultimate joy of everything else. When we have God in his right place, we get to experience the ultimate joy of everything else in this world. When we put everything else, whatever your soul craving is ahead of God, somehow it never quite satisfies. And uh, I think as I talk to people and as I look at our lives and our world that most people have settled for the stuff of this world. You know, it's a pretty good gig we got going here, particularly in America. A lot of good stuff. And um, most people have kind of settled for it. And I, I kind of use the picture of the first service. It's like a child at Christmas who gets the perfect toy and only wants to play with the box. Okay? The box is pretty. Um, the box is attractive. You can do all kinds of things with the box. But ultimately, the box gets washed away to virtually nothing. And that's often what happens to us. You see, we have this treasures in earthen vessels, Paul says. Christ lives within you, Christians. He lives within you. And so you have the answer. You have the life. You have the light. You have the message. You have the Savior that lives within you. And he lives within these jars of clay in your body, living your ordinary life right where you are right now. And somehow your focus keeps getting drawn back to this clay pot that's going to ultimately return to dust instead of to the treasure. I just want to encourage you that God is moving in your life. And he's moving to kind of reorder all these disordered loves. And it, it may be a lifetime process, but it's, it's incredible. And so in this book of Esther, this ancient story from history, we're going to try and bring to, to life kind of this process of how God provides for our soul cravings. Father, we come to you today and we just surrender this time to you. And God, I just pray that you would speak to us. You're a personal God. You're real. You're here. We acknowledge you. You're the great I am. You are present. We thank you for that. Thank you that you're just always with us. And God, I pray that we would listen. Listen for you. That you would speak to each person in their spirit, each person privately, that I would just get out of the way and that, that you would move into our lives. And may you just get the glory, Father. We thank you for that. So uh, remember the allegory we're looking at from last week. Um, if you want to catch kind of the whole thing about this overview of Esther, it's online at rimrockchurch.com. But... Uh, Ian Thomas wrote a book years and years ago I read about if I perish I perish and it just kind of stuck with me and it's funny because my kids were asking me this week you know how do you learn this stuff and it just I'm old it's, it gets you know it's pretty it's like as you get old you just start thinking oh yeah I read that years ago and it just became a part of what I who I am and so but anyway there's this this allegory and it's kind of the symbolism behind the book and 
and it's a picture and it kind of helps us unlock the message and so if you remember kind of the picture of the characters of this story first of all you have the king ahasuerus or xerxes is who he was in history and he was this uh, one of the most powerful people on earth at the time over 127 provinces he actually lived from or he was the reign from 486 bc to 465 bc so that's kind of the time frame of history but ahasuerus is in our in our picture and our symbol is going to be the soul of a man the soul of a woman the soul okay it's going to be what you think about it's going to be what you choose it's going to be what you feel and so when we start talking about soul cravings we're going to kind of look at the king and see the things that he craved now remember when the king made de decrees when the king issued laws when the king decided something and he would put it into writing and they would stamp it with his signet ring that would impact the whole kingdom and the kingdom would be driven by what the soul what he decided in the in the palace and the kingdom, of course, it represents then our body, okay? Because our, our souls kind of decide what we think and what we choose and what we feel, and that dictates how we live and what, where we go. Um, the other characters in the story, we'll see Haman, Haman. Uh, he represents the flesh, that part that's, that's separate from God, that part that hates God's people, the Jews, but just hates the things of God. Uh, really a picture of kind of unredeemed humanity. The flesh never improves, ever. So if you're sitting there and you know what your flesh is, you know what you crave with your eyes, you know what your flesh patterns are, and you're trying to fix them, you're going to fail at that. The flesh will never improve, okay? The only way to overcome the flesh is to walk in the Spirit. And the Spirit in our story is, record, is represented by Mordecai, whose his name means uh, man in his humility. But uh, the story, of course, begins with him outside of the palace. He has no access to the king. He has no influence over the king, um, and yet he refuses to bow to Haman, uh, refuses to bow to him. And, and so that's kind of our story. Esther means star. Hadessa's her name also, Myrtle. And she was orphaned as, and raised by her cousin Mordecai, and, and he raised her as her own daughter, and she's a picture of the human spirit, which ultimately is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that's kind of just the picture. That's kind of just to give you an idea, to kind of make it just personal for you. Just look at these characters and see if you can't just kind of see that play out in your life. And I think it really helps the story come alive. So the very first thing we're going to look at is the king's loves. Okay, what does the king's soul crave? And in Esther chapter 1, verse 1, it took place in the days of Ahasuerus, this is the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. In those days, King Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, sat on his throne, which was in Susa, in the capital. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his princes and all the attendants and the army officers of Persia, Media, the nobles, the princes, his providences being in his presence. And he displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his great majesty for many days, 180 days. Okay. So he had like a six-month party. This was in the third year of his reign. And he's showing off all the things that he loved. And when those days were completed, in verse 5, the king gave a banquet lasted another seven days for all the people who were present in Susa in the capital, from the greatest to the least in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Okay? So you just kind of capture this and file away that it was the third year of his reign, and we'll look at that here in a little bit. It was his third year, and he's having this huge party. Okay, six month long, showing off all the things that he craves that he's accumulated. 
And it's fascinating to me when you think about the soul's cravings and what the king craved. You know, he, he was prideful of what he, he wanted. And, and you, you got to know a little bit about the history because what he's doing is he's preparing to attack Greece. Now, he's going through this process of kind of getting support for the battle. He's kind of building up kind of his people and showing them how great he is and how much power they have. And he's having this huge party to celebrate. He loves his reputation as being the king, this powerful guy. He wants to be loved. He wants to be respected. He, he wants to please people. He loves women. He loves his wife as well. And, and he has all these cravings that have been met. You kind of get a picture in the seven-day banquet in verse 5, or in verse 6, 7, and 8, the things that, that he was showing off with the, the silver on a mosaic pavement and couches of gold and mother of pearl and all this wine and these drinks and these golden vessels and and it was just an amazing thing and at the same time his queen Vashti was having her own party and so just remember then that that soul is is kind of influencing the body the kingdom there's no Holy Spirit okay so he's just doing whatever he thinks is right to get what he wants filled up and the truth was he had all kinds of stuff right he's like one of the most powerful guys on the earth he has all kinds of stuff but it's not enough it's never enough because he's not filled up he's not satisfied and if you go down to verse 11 you see that now he's uh well on the seventh day verse 10 the heart of the king was merry with wine so he's kind of under the influence of wine imagine that after six months and seven days of partying i don't know how much of a break he took in there but but anyway, he's under the influence, uh, and he brings Queen Vashti before the king. The king he asks his, his uh, wise men to bring Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people for the, and the princess, for she was very beautiful. So he's in the midst of this party, and he kind of wants to show off his trophy wife to these guys. And uh, Jewish tradition would say that they had an argument amongst the men there at the feast as to which country had the most beautiful women and Ahasuerus was going to answer this I'll show you guys and um, he's going to show off all that his, that his soul had craved and had gotten and Vashti was part of that okay and so you kind of get the picture right he has all these kind of disordered loves he loves all these things of the world he's trying to just get filled up from the things of this world he's proud of what he had but he still wanted more and more and more and more and he wanted to show off what he had and then he wanted more and, and that's what happens when we start pursuing the things of the world but that's all he knew okay that's all he knew and verse 12 comes along and Vashti refused to come to the king's command delivered by the eunuchs and so the king became very angry and his wrath burned within him and so she took a stand and said, I am not coming. She was not open to show herself um, to his drunk friends, really. And uh, part of the, the Persian law was you would not um, show yourself unveiled before strangers. And some scholars think that he asked her to come unveiled to show her beauty, which would make sense. Other thinks it was even more lewd than that. But basically, she took a stand. She was not going to be humiliated before these people. And she was not going to take that step. And, of course, the king then is, is um, over, overwhelmed with humiliation. So he gets his buddies together, all the wise men. He says, what are we going to do with her? Okay? And, and, and just think about this, okay? This is like one of his prizes, okay? And his prize is all of a sudden letting him down. 
So now he's getting together his wise men. What are we going to do with her? And, and just think about this as a bunch of guys getting together and say, what are we going to do with these women? Okay? Because that's really what happens. And they come up with this, this crazy idea. Um, and it's, it's summarized in, in verse 16 with, by Membicon. And he's one of the wise guys. And he comes up with this great idea. Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in the providence of King Ahasuerus. See, now, it's a little extreme, right? She refuses to come, so, of course, they get together and say, she's wronged every guy in the whole kingdom, okay? It's kind of crazy. And the queen's conduct is going to become known to all the women. It's going to cause them all to look with contempt on their husbands by saying, King Ahasuerus commanded Vashti to be brought to us, to his presence, but she did not come. And this day, the ladies of Persia and Medea, who have heard of the queen's conduct, will speak in the same way to all the king's princes, and there will be plenty of contempt and anger. And so if it pleases the king, let a royal edict be issued. Let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, so that it cannot be repealed, that Vashti should no more come into the presence of King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to another who is more worthy than she. And when the king's edict had been read, and it should be heard throughout all his kingdom, great as it is, then all the women will give honor to their husbands, great and small. Okay. How do you think that would work? right? All you got to do is pass a little law, and then every woman's going to honor her husband. <laughs> Good one, right? Uh, it doesn't quite work that way, and this is kind of a slight overreaction, but this woman, Vashti, really rocked the kingdom, and it reminds me of a story, and uh, as I said in the first service, this is back when I was selling drugs, okay, and, and they were pharmaceuticals, you guys know, the kids didn't know the first service, but now they know. So they were like legal drugs, legal drugs. And we used to have speakers come in, and, uh, and they would come in, uh, the guys who were kind of been doing a lot of research, and they were kind of experts in their field. And so we got to know a lot of docs from around the country, and we'd come in, and, and uh, one of our favorites was from Chicago. He was a cardiologist uh, at Northwestern, did a lot of research, really respected guy. And Marsh and I got to know him. He was Jewish. We got to talk about Jesus a lot, and it was fun, and he knew our kids. And, and, um, and so he would come in and, and, you know, he would spend the time kind of sharing what the latest research is in cardiovascular medicine. He'd lecture all over the country, even different parts of the world. And, and, um, and so he was really renowned. And he would go home and he would drive into his garage and his wife would be, have something waiting for him, right, on the step going into the house. And he's telling me this story about what his, how his wife would just welcome him home and and, of course, you're thinking, well, this is nice. You know, she probably had something nice for him, right? A card or, or uh, you know, maybe a gift of some kind. But really what she had for him was the garbage, okay? <laughs> and the garbage was sitting on the step. And her way was saying, okay, you're not the big shot anymore. You're not that great, okay? Take the garbage out, and then you can come into the house and be the husband and dad that you are, Okay? And, and he loved it because it would bring him back home and he'd say, oh, you're right, I'm not that great, okay? And he would take the garbage out and just love to be home. And, and that's what I think is kind of funny about this story because you can just hear all these guys trying to control all these women. And it goes back to the fall in this, what sin does to our relationships. Uh, even at, at the fall in Genesis 3.16, to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. But then he said, your desire will be to control your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, see, that's not the design of marriage. That's sin in marriage, okay? 
that the wife's going to want to pull down her husband and be in control and have control of this relationship, and the husband is going to want to say, I am in charge here. Okay, there's like this battle going on. That's sin. That's sin. Instead of the picture of submitting to Christ and submitting to one another and loving one another, sin gets in the picture and we have these battles. And, and so, believe me, a little law is not going to change that. Okay? But you need to know something that's fascinating, that's so true, that's so real, that's so relevant to our lives. God is moving. He's moving. He was moving here, working in the life of his chosen people, and he's moving in your lives. He's working in your circumstances, and he changes the hearts of worldly kings. He changes your hearts. He changes the hearts of people around you, and his timing is impeccable. It's perfect. Isaiah chapter 55 says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. The rain and the snow come down from the heavens. They stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow. They produce seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. And it's the same with my word. I will send it out, and it always produces fruit, and it will accomplish all I want it to. And it will prosper everywhere I send it. You see, God is moving. God is on the throne. God is in control. And you don't have to be stressed about the elections or what's going on in our country or all these things that we can't control because guess what? There is a God who is in control. And ultimately, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so even though you don't know it, even though you can't see it, God is moving. And Esther had absolutely no idea what was going on. This was just a normal day in her life. Normal day. And Ahasuerus really had no idea what was happening here. But this was going to rock his world. But God knew. And so this woman comes in, and she just rocks the entire empire. And, and here's what I want you to think about. What it is in your life that rocks your world when it doesn't work out, when it doesn't turn out the way you want. What turns you upside down? Only you know. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's your reputation gets soiled. Maybe somehow you lose some power, you lose relationships, you lose a friend. Maybe it's something to do with your health and all of a sudden it doesn't turn out like you want and your world becomes oh, so upset, so discouraged. You see, that's how you can really tell when you have disordered priorities. You start thinking what you're afraid to lose. You start thinking, what consumes your thoughts? You start thinking, how am I going to live without this? I need this. It starts to steal your peace. And see, these are like these soul cravings that really have taken God's place in your life. These can be good things, but they're not ultimate things. And when we put them in place of God, we are so afraid to lose them. We hold on so tightly. We feel like that is what's going to fill us up. That's what's going to control my destiny, is this stuff of this world. And it never is. It never is. And just know that God's moving and know that God's always got a provision there for you. And that's really what we see as we look at chapter 2. 
After these things, the anger of King Ahasuerus had subsided. He remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Now, I just stop there and you catch after this things. It's always good in the scripture to figure out after what things. And if you look at verse 16 of chapter 2, you find that this is the seventh year of his reign. Remember in chapter 1, we're in the third year of his reign. And so if you look back in history, what you find that happened during those four years was that Ahasuerus, Xerxes, okay, the one who had all this power, the one who was showing off how great his kingdom was, the most, one of the most powerful men on earth, okay, uh, had this incredible kingdom under his control. It was the largest kingdom in the world at that time, okay? And it's all under his control. And what he had done is he had sent this massive army to go to Greece to try and conquer Greece, and he failed. And he came home defeated and humiliated and lonely. And he misses his wife. Doesn't miss a one-night stand. He could have any woman he wanted as the king at that time. He misses his wife. He misses this relationship. And so the king's attendants who served him said, well, let the beautiful young virgins be sought for the king and let the king appoint overseers in all the providence of his kingdom that they may gather every beautiful young virgin to Susa, the capital, into the harem, into the custody of, of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let their cosmetics be given to them. And let the young lady who pleases the king be queen in place of Vashti. And the matter pleased the king, and he did accordingly. So he lost his worldly love of Vashti, he lost his, his invincibility of the power of his kingdom. And all of a sudden, it opens the door in his life. Opens this door for Esther, for Mordecai to come in. He has his power shaken. He has his pride crushed. He loses one of these things, these things, these, this stuff, these relationships that his soul craved. And that's often how God moves. And there was a Jew in Susa in the capital whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jahar, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. And he had, taken into, he had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled with Jehakim, the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. This is the same time that Daniel and his buddies were exiled as well. And he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the young lady was beautiful of form and of faith. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. And remember the picture. He represents the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, God brings him into the palace, we'll see, through Esther, who's this human spirit that's submitted to the Holy Spirit. And God provides what the soul really craves. When your world is rocked, and those things that you think you need are touched or taken away. God provides what your soul really craves, himself. Strip it all away. You know what you crave intimately is Almighty God. And when we have that relationship with him right, when he is the ultimate, because he will never bow and never be second, because he is the ultimate, when we have that relationship with him right, we can have everything else. It all falls into place. And you know what? He can take it or he can leave it, and we are free because he is the ultimate one in our lives. So just know that as we close and you apply it. I just really challenge you to apply it to your life today and, and really think about those things that you're craving that maybe have, have gotten a little disordered in your life and they have taken the place of God as first. And uh, 
rearrange those things between you and God. Um, otherwise, I'm sure he'll help you do it because he, he's really good at that. And so I encourage us to, to take some time to rearrange those things. But just know that God is working in the lives of the pagans as well as in the lives of the, the Christians. And even if you don't see it, he's shaping lives. He's shaking kingdoms. And, and know that God has his people, the right people at the right place at the right time. He has Esther there. He has Mordecai there. And you know what? He has you here, believer. You here, now, at the right place and the right time in your circumstances. And so you just got to stop and ask yourself, like, what is God doing in my life to bring about a conversion in my soul? This is a lifetime process. What area of my life do I need to turn over and surrender to him? He's transforming you. He's reordering your priorities so that you can experience the ultimate priority. Him is number one. So I just challenge you to kind of open your hands and surrender even as we sing and as we close your, your stuff and your money and your relationships and whatever it is, your health, your security, and you will gain victory. You see, we act like all this stuff saves us. Uh, we act like all this stuff works for us and it protects us and it provides for us and it gives us security. Listen, they're, they're, this is false. They're idols. We worship a holy God and he will have none of it. Okay, I will have no other gods before me, none. And our souls really crave life that's found in him, security found in him, love, he is love. <laughs> Significance, he's the one who provides it, right? Belonging, he provides it. And that's what we crave, and they're all wrapped into this one true God of the universe. And he wants to pour out on every single one of you from his excess, which is incredible, but your hands are full. So I just challenge you to open your hands because we all want to live this life to the full. We want to just live this life trusting this incredible God and this grand adventure. And he's the one who fills what you're craving. He's going to call you out of a life that you've known and into this kind of life that you can't even imagine, which is beyond anything that you can even verbalize. So as the singers come back up, will you just join me in prayer? Father, we land this and we rest as we began with you. And God, I pray that uh, in these moments, in this day, that you would just make yourself real to every person in this room, every person who hears these words, that we would freely surrender these things that really have taken your place in our lives, these things that where we think we can get life and we think we can get security and we think are going to make us who we think we need to be. And God, we just come to you and we just need you. We surrender them to you and open our hands to you and ask, Father, that you would just fill us full with your spirit and with your power. And God, I pray that you would just use each person in here as your mighty warrior to go forth and share your love and to share your grace and to share your truth. And use us to be the ones who display the grace that we have been given through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks, guys.